I think all of us as brand leaders and activists need to strive for not just incremental competing for trivial differences in market share and mm. product attributes. We should be thinking about how we can build brands that are worthy of emulation, mm. not just at an at a African level, but global businesses and brands need to be looking to the continent and right. say, there, there's a brand there. Mm. That Vodacom is doing things that are worthy of emulation. And that's certainly my aspiration for what we need to try and do and deliver in this organization. But I also think that a lot more brands on this beautiful continent can, and why not? Mm. We need to believe that we can build and create businesses and brands that are worthy of emulation, but also at a personal level, how do we think about what that means for us and the transformation we need to make in our personal lives? Go! Welcome, guys. Uh, my name is Tawani Kumaru, as you know, obviously, and I'm so excited. This is season three, guys, and we continue to do this all the time. I'm taking a twist this year, and I'll tell you all about it. Uh, we're going to bring in still the CMOs from a client side and perspective. We're going to bring in agency people and executives as well and media buyers um, as well. So I'm excited. But without further ado, I want to introduce my guest today. My guest is the chief marketing officer for Vodacom, Mr. Andisa Nzobane. Makutse, how are you? Doma. And I'm the first one this year. Uh, you're you the first one. You're the opener. You're the opener. You're the opener. Thank uh, you for joining. Absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to be here and I'm a big fan. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. So the process of my podcast, um, which is what I would have told you, is that we start off with an icebreaker. And these are things I don't want you to prepare for. Just to get the... Icebreakers. Yeah, icebreakers. Just to make sure that we, we lose and then we can get into the All marketing right. things. So just entertain me. All right. The first things I say, I want you to respond. I don't want you to think long and hard about it. So first word that comes to mind, that's your response. So don't think too long. Nah. Mm. Okay, let's, let's shoot. If there's any place in the world you could Barcelona. visit. Barcelona. <laughs> Barcelona, my happy place. Okay, Nigerian jollof or Ghanaian jollof? Ah, uh, you're going to get me into trouble, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh Ghana, it's got to be Ghana. Oh, Ghanaians. the Nigerians are going to hate me. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, what are the three things you can't live without? Three things. Oh. Good music, mm -hmm. family. Oh, Barcelona. <laughs> My next question was going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona, but I think you've answered that. Now I know for sure. Absolutely. Okay, if you could describe yourself as any existing brand, which brand or product would it be? Um, sure. Vodacom. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> okay, cool. And the last one. Um, I know you've been to 34 countries. Because I sat in your session after advertising week yesterday. Um, and out of the 34 countries in the continent, which one was your favorite and why? Oh, I've got so many favorites. I know. I, that's I like why I'm asking you this question. You know, I one. love each one of them for different things. One, Andisa. Um, I love Ghana. Okay. Ghana is amazing. The yeah. first country to gain independence on the African continent. There's never been a civil war there. The people of Ghana are just, just amazing. Yeah. And something very interesting. Yeah. Every single person born in Ghana has a name according to the day of the week they are born. Ah. It is amazing. 
interesting. Kofi, Kwame, Kwesi, it's yeah. the same names. And the ladies too have the same names. So it's fantastic. Interesting. Okay. That's that. I cool, broken down. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you opened the hook. I'm broken. I'm broken in. <laughs> cool. So I also like setting the context. Yeah. So I want you to like share from an upbringing perspective, very high level, who Andisa is, how you grew up and how that shaped the man that you actually are today and the work that you actually do today. Yeah. So it's very interesting. I always tell people I had a very different life yeah. um, to most South Africans. Um, people talk about uh, apartheid South Africa in, in black or white. Yeah. And I had a very different upbringing. So um, in 1976, my family and I lived in Waterkloof yeah. in Pretoria in the suburbs yeah. in 1976. That's the year that Soweto was burning. And, um, and in 1982, I went to St. John's. Mm -hmm. uh, I was the first black boy at St. John's. Mm. So what's the problem with all of this? The problem is that black people weren't allowed in the suburbs back in those days. And in fact, there were things called stayaways where mm. black people had to stay away from the suburbs, but we lived in the suburbs. Mm. So what were we doing there? And how come I was able to gain access to a private school in, in South Africa? Mm. And the reason we were there is my father was the ambassador of a country called Transkei. Uh -huh. So the Eastern Cape was a country. And so I was the son of a diplomat and that's why we lived in the embassy in Waterkloof. And that's how I was able to get access to St. John's. So very interesting, um, but also very difficult because although people might think, wow, very awesome. I had a very difficult and lonely childhood mm. because I kind of didn't fit in. Mm. Um, I was the only black boy at the time. And as I went through the school, more black people came into the school. And also um, the white kids didn't want to play with me because I was the only one of my kind, I was very different. And black people didn't want to play with me because I was too white. So I had a very, um, I suppose, lonely childhood. Nobody wanted to play with me. We had one rule in our house at home, that is don't go near the windows. Every week a brick was thrown through our windows. Um, and it was a very difficult time. And, um, and I really journeyed through that. And as I went through the school, more came into the school, but also um, I got into sport and sport was really powerful in creating that unity amongst different races and different cultures. And I thought that was where the beginning of the embracing of me kind of started happening. And um, and interestingly, what happened was in 1986-7, my parents, Transkei was no more, so they went back to the Eastern Cape. And I stayed in boarding school at St. John's. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the things that, that really shaped my life. Um, I learned independence. Uh, boarding school is one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. And by then, lots had changed even within the school. And I'm really, really grateful for that experience and that journey. So that was really my, my upbringing. Very difficult, very different. Mm. And um, I tell people that uh, when I write the story of my personal life one day, it'll be called The Original Coconut. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, okay, I'll, I'll wait for that book. Can I, can I please have a signed copy? <laughs> can I please have a signed absolutely, copy? Absolutely, absolutely. And then from St. John's, then you go into varsity. That's correct. And how then do you make your decision on which route to take and how then do you end up in the world of marketing, which is what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so I mean, I was loving uh, my youth, actually, by the end of it. Loving high school, um, involved in sports, vice captain of athletics, in rugby, mm. in all the different sports. And then all of a sudden, I've got to make a decision about what career I want to choose. Yeah. And at the time, doctors, engineers, you know, there was nothing advertising marketing. Yeah. 
And so I made the decision of what I wanted to do based on what I saw on TV and what I really liked, and that was L.A. Law. Ah. I used to watch the guys in fancy suits walking up and down the courtroom, <laughs> strutting their stuff. And I thought, that's a pretty interesting career. Yeah. And so I went to UCT with the intention of doing a BA law and getting into law. Did my BA, and then I worked in a, in a law firm in Cape Town called Balsillies. Mm -hmm. And I knew that this is definitely not me, mm -hmm. because kind of the legal system is the legal system. Whereas I had a strong creative mind. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to come up with new ideas and, and challenge and create um, uh, interesting solutions. And I left Cape Town, came back to Joburg, and after a while, no job, I got an opportunity to work on the first brand, um, and that brand is JNB. Mm. So we worked on the JNB brand. Um, we did some amazing things to really introduce the brand into a new market, and that's the black emerging middle market, sure. and really helped to change perceptions of the whiskey category. And in the portfolio, there was Johnny Walker, there was Bells, you know, part of the Diageo, mm. Diageo group. And um, when I started there, I also started to kind of study it. So I went to Vega and did, you know, brand management, wow. had Gordon Cook there I at the see. time. And it was just amazing to kind of get into this creative world where you actually come up with ideas, come up with solutions and, and really innovate. And we did really amazing things to help build the brand in the new market in South Africa and create a category that actually was the entry level brand into the whiskey portfolio. And that was yeah. really amazing experience. So that was really the journey. Mm. And then that kind of accelerated and kicked off my, my, um, my journey in my career. And I've been in multiple industries since then. I've been in FMCG, I've been in Telco. So I was at Salsi yes. in the beginning days. Yes. Salsi for yourself. <laughs> Are you responsible and, uh, for that? And that was amazing. <laughs> so that was really great. And then left there, went to Standard Bank. Standard Bank was kind of my longest job. Mm. And that's where I really started to travel the continent of Africa gotcha. and going to different markets and trying to manage a brand at different stages in its mm. career. And then I also um, got involved in sponsorships and really managed the sponsorship portfolio at Standard Bank. And that was amazing. Left there, went to um, Microsoft IT. So I've been in multiple industries mm. and then financial services um, in terms of old mutual um, and broad insurance and, and broader pieces. And here I am in, tel in telco um, and really... Uh, you know, getting involved in a business that's really transforming from being just a telecommunications company to a technology communications company, which is really, really exciting. And we have financial services and we've got, you know, the B2B side of it, our Vodacom business. And this is really where all the disruption is taking place in terms mm -hmm. of the industry. Terrain. And we're disrupting multiple industries and multiple categories and helping to drive the transformational change that's required across this beautiful continent of ours. So and, and your you love, know. sorry to interject, yeah. and your love for the continent, what I wanted to see is actually quite evident, and I love it. And we'll get to it just now. Yeah. We'll get to it just now. Because I think you're one of the few people that wear the continent's heart on their sleeve, and it's quite evident all the time. Yeah, I, you know, I tell people that, um, you know, the reason I'm so passionate, and I get asked why you're so passionate yes. about the continent, and I tell them that the most successful companies in the world solve problems. Mm. and they make a ton loads of money while doing that. And if you think about it, the continent of Africa has got the most problems. Mm. And therefore, we represent the single largest opportunity to drive, drive transformation and innovation, but also to create and have impact whilst making a lot of money. Mm. And I'd rather be here than anywhere else in the world because what a place, what a time to help find solutions that can help to change people's lives across mm. the continent. And I really like the vibrancy of the continent. Every country is different, the nuances, 
the insights and really tapping into that in terms of, of really driving that innovation. But also, there are things happening on this continent that aren't happening anywhere else in the world. Mm. And I think we too often look to the world for best practice and best practice is happening right here. Mm. People talk about paradigms. They talk about the power of technology to change Africa. Mm. But I say the power of Africa to influence and change technology. And if you think about one of the businesses in our portfolio, uh, Safaricom and M-Pesa, and what we've done from a mobile money payments perspective to help alleviate a massive and deep issue for consumers and really growing a business that really has, has you know, grown and grown over the years. And so that's just one example of how what we're doing in mobile money payments on the continent, what we're doing in agriculture and technology in agriculture, how we're solving for medicine and solutions in medicine from a technology perspective, is not happening anywhere else in the world. Mm. And I think those stories need to be told more often. And by the way, storytelling comes from this continent a lot. Yes. And I think we've got a wonderful opportunity and certainly I take all the opportunities to talk about the continent and share best practice and talk about the amazing things that are happening here. And just, you know, I, I was in Cannes last year yeah. and I, um, we hosted us African CMOs. So we had Ken C from Nedbank, yes. um, and really talking the African story at Cannes. Because what's important is you can't have a global creative industry, the mm. biggest platform, and Africa is not represented at those platforms. And sure. therefore, it's important for us to really go and democratize the African story mm. and to shift the narrative that we are this continent that's always depicted the same in terms of dusty streets and all of those things. We all know that's yeah. absolutely not true. That is so true, and I love that. And you mentioned how as Africans we can start solving the problems. Um, I want to go to brands and I think you alluded to Safaricom and M-Pesa. Um, I want to go to African brands that have actually solved the African problem. And I want you to double click a bit yeah. um, and tell us what the insight was or what the problem was and how that brand or business actually solved that problem and what the results after that sure, were. Sure, sure. So I've had a, you know, I've been truly blessed to work on amazing brands and everywhere I've worked there's been wonderful innovations. And so I'll give you two or three examples. Sure. So at Standard Bank, um, when I joined in 2004, looking after brand and sponsorships, our key challenge at the time was the brand was perceived as conservative, old, not relevant to young people, sure. and certainly not seen as innovative as, an, as a brand. And from a sponsorship point of view, we thought what better way to kind of really bring the brand closer to that youth market yeah. through our sponsorships. Got and it. so what we did is, we partnered with Supersport as well as the what was called the United Cricket Board at the time. Mm -hmm. And we came up with a 20 over format of the game. Mm. And we launched the first ever 20 over format of the game worldwide. It was called the Standard Bank Pro 20. And we broke all the rules and conventions of the game. We said, how can we make sure that we create a new concept called Sportainment? The combination of sport and entertainment. Mm. We linked everything to broadcast and to the stadium in terms of the eventing. Every time there was a four or a six, there were dancing people and dancing yeah. ladies inside the stadiums. We had a, something called Dunk a Hunk where we dropped dunk tanks into water. We had jacuzzis. We put heart rate monitors on the batsmen so you yeah. could see their heart rate as the bowler was coming into bowl. And we really created this amazing product. We had live bands in the stadiums during the game. And in the final, we had 18,000 people at Wanderers the brand shift in terms of our relevance to young people, because we positioned it about the beer, the bride, the boulevard, and the babes. And we said, you don't have to understand the game of cricket to want to come to a game. Uh, and that became the entry level proposition 
into cricket and hopefully people migrated into one day and obviously into test. But a year later, the ICC held the first T20 World Cup. They held it in South Africa and they said, do what they do at the Standard Bank. And a year later, after that, the agency that helped us put all of this together went to India to launch the IPL. Sure. And therefore, a product that was launched in South Africa became this global success that we all see in the world today. Crazy. And um, having just left the board of Cricket South Africa now, one of the things that we did is launch the SA20 and there was a final this past Sunday. Yes. And you saw that it was a sold out event for the final. And it just goes to show you how strong that product is that started in South Africa. So that's just one example. And then the shifts in terms of the brand perceptions amongst the youth market, we linked it to a product called the Achiever account. Yeah. And sales of Achiever account went kind of through the roof. And it did amazing wonders to shift the overall perceptions of the bank. So that is really just one example. Um, another more recent example that I'm really proud of in my career at, at Old Mutual yeah. is unlike um, South Africa, where vaccinations were for free yeah, in yeah. other markets on the continent people had to pay for vaccines and so one of the first things you know that we did and we did a lot of work even in south africa in terms of playing a role to support efforts in the fight against the pandemic and we did things like you know our real estate our offices in pine town as vaccination sites to really vaccinate people we launched something called vaxi taxi yeah. we had mobile units going out into the rural parts and less accessible areas because in suburbs I think the coverage was pretty much yes. very strong, but where the real issues were, were in far to reach places and we had the vaccine taxi going out into those markets. But we also then launched vaccination campaigns in markets outside of South Africa, where we played an active role in getting vaccinations to people. And actually that makes business sense, right? Yeah. Because it affects the business when we have to pay for death claims and yes. all of these things. So if you get people vaccinated, you actually make the, the, the business actually makes um, or manages its finances. So you've got a real issue, humanitarian issue. And I talk about, you know, when I started getting into the humanized growth thing, you can't drive humanized growth if there's no humans. Mm. And therefore it was really important for the organization to step in and use its core business and core platform, which is insurance and yeah. serving lives to really drive that, that uplift. And we really got, you know, lots of, of credit and accolades in terms of that. And certainly at Vodacom, also playing a massive role in terms of um, the vaccination program and supporting the battle against the pandemic. But even more importantly, from a Vodacom perspective, one of the single biggest issues and single biggest shame we have is GBV in this country. And Vodacom certainly lent into that and is really, really um, doing what it can to support all victims of GBV, but also making sure that before that happens, We've got a whole ecosystem of really trying to get to the root cause and through the work that we do both in education across mm -hmm. schools um, as well as teaching younger people about the impact of some of these and how we need to try and get to the root cause of some of these systemic issues in our mm -hmm. society i think we are really really doing our part to really help in this fight against this this, this scourge of gender-based violence in the country and i think that um we certainly um I think will be, um, you know, one of the people that that will continue to to drive that agenda in terms of this battle. Mm -hmm. So, relevant issues, real issues, mm -hmm. and what it takes is organisations and brands 
taking a leadership point of view and having a, have, having a point of view on issues that are most important to them and deciding to do something about it. And if you look at things like the Edelman Trust Barometer, year on year, there's been a decline in trust in other institutions like media. Mm. There's no trust in media, it's dropped. There's yep. no trust in NGOs, definitely no trust in government. And where the trust is is with business. Yeah. Consumers are looking now to business to help address social challenges and economic challenges. And we certainly need to lean into that. And I certainly think that Vodacom is one of the organizations that is leaning into its role. And we talk a lot about our purpose um, to, um, in terms of connecting for a better future and really trying to deliver on that promise. So it's not just you know, posters on walls. Mm. There has never been a more important moment than this for brands and businesses to deliver on their promise and their purpose. And I certainly think COVID was that moment mm. that really said to us, are these things just, you know, words, mm. but how do we live them into practical reality and to, uh, so it's actually people's lived experience in terms of what we say. Mm. So those are just some examples, I think, of um, of brands that, that I think are going to be um, in the forefront of, of growth going forward. And And the last thing I'll say is, it's also about brands that are able to connect what they do from a marketing point of view mm -hmm. and connect it to how that drives impact and supporting the sustainable development goals. Mm. The SDGs for me, um, and Paul Polman, uh, former Unilever CEO says the SDGs are the blueprint. They're the business plan for the world. Mm. And I think that um, when you look at some of the challenges of the sustainable development goals, Africa's fully at the heart of that and people like Sanda Ojiambo at the UN Global Compact um, is really focused on Africa um, amongst, obviously, her portfolio is the world, but Africa is a very important piece of the puzzle because a lot of the challenges are on the continent. And I think through some of the things like the Business Leaders Coalition that has CEOs from uh, organizations on the continent working together to really support things like climate change, climate change, the impact of climate change will be most hardest felt on the African mm -hmm. continent. And so getting leaders from the continent to really step up and say, what are we going to do about this? And what's our point of view in terms of response to climate change is really, really important. And we saw leaders mm. and Vodacom uh, being a partner to the climate change uh, COP27 in, um, in, uh, in Egypt last year and really pulling and making sure that we're galvanizing support from all, all other stakeholders to deal with this very important issue. So we've got a lot of challenges, mm. a lot of issues. Um, but I'm really excited about this wonderful opportunity that we have as as brand activists and business leaders to to really be in the forefront of that change and to step up. And, you know, you, you mentioned humanization of brands here um, and speaking to a purpose and delivering on what you actually stand for. And what I've found is other organizations are quite transformed in that space um, and others are not. Others, we're dealing with the bottom line, whatever marketing is speaking about in terms of purpose and trying to humanize the brand, falls off. Um, and you're in a leadership position currently, and you've been for a very long time. And I want to know, from the different roles that you've actually had, what are some of the things you feel are important from a marketing perspective to almost get the troops and rally them to this journey of humanizing brands in order to deliver on the value for the business? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, certainly my um, experience has been 
one of the big trends is that a lot of organizations are kind of product-led. Mm. So if you look at the structure of the organizations and how they're set up, they're organized around products yeah. and organized around, around solutions and not necessarily organized around the customer. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important um, transformational shift to make yeah. because you've got to start with the customer, start with the customer insight and start with the trends and say, what are we solving for? And so, um, and that's important because you might have a solution and the worst now, the, 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 the challenge is, is now um, multiplied mm-hmm. when you're operating in multiple markets. And so one example if you're selling an insurance, a funeral product in South Africa, um, it might be flying off the shelf and how you market it is through the value proposition, which is we pay within 48 hours mm. or 24 hours. But if you go to Nigeria, in Nigeria, half the population is Christian, half the population is Muslim. Mm. And if you're a Christian in Nigeria and you pass away, they will not bury you for a minimum period of four months. Sure. So if you go there with the same logic and the same marketing of pay within 20, 40, 48 hours, it's irrelevant almost because for that market, the cultural nuances are fundamentally different. And so you've got to start from the customer. And so I talk about customer-centric organizations kind of do th- three things. The first thing they say is where to play. Which markets are we going after? And what's the size of the commercial opportunity in those markets where we want to play? Mm-hmm. So it starts with externally, which markets, which customer segments are we going after? What are the insights and what are we trying to do? The second thing is what must we design and deliver for those markets where we want to play? And typically we start with what we've got. Mm-hmm. And as they say, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem becomes a nail. Mm-hmm. But if you start with which customers, what are the issues and pain points? And what's the size of the commercial opportunity? Then say... What do we need to design and deliver for those markets? And then the third piece is how you take it to market. Mm. And typically marketing focuses on how you take it to market. But marketing's got to play an important role up front in helping to define the markets where we want to play. Mm. And we've got to have the insights and the intel in terms of which segments of consumer markets are growing, where's the growth opportunity coming from, and what are some of the shifts and trends in the marketplace? Yeah. And so if you get those three pieces of the puzzle, I think you're in a, in a very strong position to drive this customer-centric or human-centric change that I kind of um, I speak about. So, so that's what I would say is, is, is the big thing, the product-to-customer um, shift. And then the second one is certainly about leaning into the insights, because today we have got so much data, so much insights, and how do you as a marketing leader kind of navigate through what all of this information is telling you? Mm. And I spoke yesterday about um, at Vodacom, we have so much insights on every single individual. Mm. Um, we know exactly, because you have the phone, we know exactly what time you sleep, we know what time your alarm goes off, we know what time you wake up, we know which cell tower, we know where you live. We have so much information, but how do we use that information taking into account data privacy and all of those things to really drive personalized um, experiences for you that help to enable you in terms of what you're looking for in your life and where your aspirations are. So we've got to lean into that, but it does also mean that we've got to have new skills mm-hmm. in terms of data analytics and translating those that data and analytics into marketing strategies and plans that drive growth. 
Gotcha. You mentioned the, the amount of data that you guys have and the importance of data in the space that we are in currently and basically acquiring new skills um, in this day and age from a marketing perspective. There's so much data, Andis. It's too much data. I work in a business where there's just too much information is flying around and no one knows where to get it, what decisions to make with that and what to do. And I know I'm scared of your business because <laughs> you guys know everything. There's two businesses I'm scared of. Telcos <laughs> and I think businesses like Google because they know everything. Um, how have you used that power in order to make sure that you are effective in your communication, your solutions that you have, in the innovations that you bring into the market? Because data, with, with no usage of data, even though it's sitting there, it's useless. But how do you use that data to make the right decisions? Yeah, well, you said that we have got so much power. <laughs> the first piece is about how do you translate that power to be power to the consumer yeah. and to empower the consumer. So that's important. But I would say um, you've got to be able to be clear on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to do with the data. Mm. And so being very clear about what are the metrics yeah. that you're trying to drive and what you're trying to understand. And then how do you organize the data? Because, you know, you can have so much that you're also taking stuff that you don't need. So be yes. very clear about what pieces of data you need and what are the inputs into that. And I guess from my own perspective, we've got to really start shifting the role of the marketer yeah. from just being the person that does the ads. Yes, please. We've got to move from that. And that's why uh, sometimes it doesn't help that the first thing that we talk about always is creative or the TV yes. ad. It just reinforces yeah. that we are the nice picture t-shirt people. We've got to start talking the language of the business yes. as an important piece and familiarize ourselves with how the business makes money. Mm. So many marketing leaders don't even fully comprehend how the business makes money. Mm. What are the levers of how the business makes money? What are the drivers in the marketplace around that? Mm. And so if you're not well-versed, people, you know, you can't demonstrate that you're fully empathetic to where the business is. Mm. And so the first thing is really being very clear and being aligned to where the organization is and speaking the language of the business. And if you understand the levers and the drivers, you then got to look at data and information and say, how can you use data that's helping you to add value into the drivers mm. that the business requires in order to make, to make money? Mm. And so how you organize that, how you then make sure that the whole ecosystem of your engine from an operational perspective is aligned to that. And what I mean by that is, how do you make sure that you build dashboards? Because nowadays yeah. there's dashboards that help you to track the progress that you're making on various metrics and you visualize it in a certain way in terms of your performance. Um, but it's also about making decisions in real time. Mm. Um, and we don't have the luxury today of taking mm. too long to make these decisions. That's true. And I had a wonderful, wonderful, um, uh, there was a wonderful talk just this week, actually, where uh, Busima Vusa was, was quoting Colin Powell, mm -hmm. who um, talks about the 40-70 yeah. approach. Yeah. And basically, the, it, it says, never make decisions with less than 40% of the information at, at your disposal mm -hmm. and never make decisions with more than 70% of information at your disposal. Okay. Less than 40%, you're just guessing. And more than 70%, you're just stalling. You take your analysis paralysis. True. So you've got to make quick decisions, True. fast decisions, 
and based on trends that you're seeing in the data. Mm. So it's not about understanding the detail, but what are the trends that the data is telling you in terms of making those, um, making those, those core decisions. So the skills of what I call the magic mm -hmm. of marketing, which is all the wonderful stuff that you see in the breakthrough innovations yeah. with the logic. Yes. And the logic is the commercial acumen, the data and analytics. So how do you mix the magic with the logic to create a new type of marketer that is helping to drive business growth? Okay, let's go to now the logic, because I think it's also important when you're speaking to people like CFOs, I think they're probably one of the people that don't like marketers. And in a business context, I always say when you look at the PNL, it's quite easy to, to see that if the business is not performing, let me just strip a bit of that AMP and I'll start making a bit of profit. Um, how have you found that relationship? And maybe you can share some tips on what is that language that I need to be using when I'm speaking to the likes of a CFO or finance people? And how do I also make sure that they buy what the role of marketing is, which in essence to drive business growth? Yeah. So one of the greatest privileges we have as a marketing function is that our role cuts across every part of the organization. Hmm. And I tell my team, by virtue of owning the brand, hmm. we touch and we have access to every place in this business. Go to the network teams, go to the IT teams, because hmm. it's, it's the brand, right? Hmm. And so how do we make sure that we're orchestrating and helping to organize enterprise-wide initiatives in the organization? And how do we start to talk and tailor our messaging and language for all C-suite executives? Yes. So when we talk to HR, it's mm. about the employee value proposition and the employee brand. Yeah. When we talk to the technology team, ultimately all the technology is for the customer. Mm. And we should be custodians and champions and advocates for the consumer. When we talk to the product development people, how do we make sure that how we design our products is intuitive, is responsive, is simple to understand uh, for the consumer? Mm. So we influence all of that. When we talk to... Um, so we've got access to all, all areas of the business. And yeah. then from a finance perspective, what's important is to really be able to link what we're doing to commercial outcomes. Sure. And I spoke about the language of the business, understanding the drivers of the business, and then demonstrating how we're adding value. Yeah. And so when you look at measures and indicators like the most valuable brands mm. that use both financial KPIs as well as brand KPIs, and getting them involved in some of that in terms of them understanding, because that's important, right? Because yeah. it's part of how we talk about the inherent value um, of a business and a brand and how you can increase that in terms of its value over time. Mm. And in my previous life at Old Mutual, a big part of the work that we did to rebrand and to reposition the brand in terms yeah. of, of its listing back on the African continent, one of the outcomes of that work was we were then ranked as the most valuable insurer on the African continent. Nice. But we also made in 2020 number 76 on the global 100 insurance brands in the world. And being the only African insurer on that list affirmed mm. that we are the most valuable insurance company. So 100%. linking those things, I think, are important. And then I guess finally, um, you know, thinking about which projects can help to to demonstrate that you understand mm. um, our growth. And so, again, we've run a similar, another project called Project 2030, yeah. which is looking at growth opportunities between now and 2030. 
And I think those type of things, when you're starting to talk the language of growth, I think it resonates so well uh, with chief financial officers. So we've got to really partner with them and really um, help them to see the value that we bring to organizations. Okay, I love that. And as we try and like slowly wind down, um, I think we've got like 10 minutes left. I want to touch on the last discussion. Is it, is it, is it 10 minutes left already? Yes. Wow. We, you see, when you're having fun, <laughs> time flies. Um, so the first one is I want to talk from a perspective of a leadership view now. Yeah. So maybe let's take a step back, a little bit about, uh, from being technical around the marketing space. Um, you're a leader. You've been a leader for some time now in your different roles. Um, you've got big teams that you basically are accountable for. Um, what are some of those traits that you think makes for great leaders uh, to grow people, grow business, products, and brands? Thanks for that. I think um, there's never been a more opportune moment than this as well, having come out of COVID. I think leadership is also about empathy. Mm. People are dealing with a lot and have been dealing with a lot. And leaders cannot continue to operate as though there's not all of this happening around us. Sure. And so the country in terms of South Africa is going through a lot. Mm. Unemployment, people are struggling, financial pressure, load shedding. Yeah. And we don't operate as leaders in a vacuum. Mm. And so being empathetic, checking in with your people, um, I think is really, really important and making sure that people understand where you're trying to go and how you're trying to lead. So that, mm. that, that empathetic leadership, I think is, is very clearly an important piece of the puzzle. In addition to that, the clarity of the vision of where you're going and being able to galvanize teams behind a common purpose, a common vision, is really, really important in demonstrating the proof points of the direction that you're wanting to take people. Sure. Um, especially in these difficult times, mm -hmm. people need clarity and certainty in terms of where they're going. And then also being flexible, right? Because mm -hmm. we have to be agile as leaders because things are changing all around us. The dynamic of uh, working from home, working online and in person, that's really changed this mm -hmm. new world of work. And I think we've got to embrace and be, and be flexible to that. And then, as I say, one of the biggest things is being able to make decisions mm. in the moment, 70, 40. Yeah. But also um, making the calls, because I think no decision is worse off than the wrong decision. Mm. And I think as leaders, we have to take responsibility for, for making decisions, but also taking our teams with us. And then I think the, the last two pieces will be around, you know, cultural um, insight and being locked in mm. to what's happening in the world around us from a cultural perspective, what are the shifts happening in the market? And secondly, having a global outlook mm. because the world is also changing around us and you've got to be able to connect what's happening around the world to our business, to our organizations, with our people. And I think you have a much more whole brand leader mm. in terms of those component parts, but it's a lot. <laughs> and when you think about the volume of information that leaders are having to deal with, the complexity of issues that people yeah, have to deal with. Sure. Um, it definitely is not an easy um, environment to be in. Mm. But we've got to lean into our responsibility. We've got to lean into the burden mm. or privilege of leadership. And secondly, I can't overemphasize the role of empathy. Mm. Soft is the new hard. Mm. All the soft skills are so important at this moment. Yeah, soft is the new hard. I love that. Absolutely. So my last question, yesterday I was privileged to sit in your panel discussion 
God. Advertising Week Africa. And you mentioned a, a beautiful story, which I would love for you to share, which was a life-changing experience for you. Um, I want you to share with the world and everyone that will be watching here who was not part of Advertising Week Africa on that life-changing experience um, and what it meant to you and how it has shaped you thus far. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really special, special, special one. Um, in 2020, I, I um, was invited to join um, something called the IRG, the Institute for Real Growth. Mm-hmm. They have what they call the IRG 100. And so they invite 100 chief marketing officers from around the world to participate on an eight-month program. Mm-hmm. And it's chief marketing officer of Facebook worldwide, Unilever, um, you know, global brands, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, wow. from all around the world. And there were three of us from the continent of Africa. And every week we meet, um, you know, for, for three hours every week, then we do assignments, we do presentations. And at the end of the eight months, the 100 CMOs vote mm. for the global CMO winner of this program. And these people voted me as the global CMO um, of this global program. And it was truly humbling yeah. um, to have been voted by peers um, with this with this honor and something that I will certainly cherish for a very very long time but it also gave me um, inspiration in terms of the value that the continent of Africa and Africans mm. can contribute in terms of the global creative space and so I was the global champion and one of the things that they the IRG organized <clears throat> was this thing called the regenerative retreat okay and those words fascinated me regenerative retreat yeah and it was to be held in Panama. <clears throat> yeah. And so they invited uh, 25 uh, CMOs from around the world on this retreat in Panama. And we spent five days in the jungle of Panama mm. in March uh, last year. Okay. And um, 22 years ago, an American gentleman called Nathan Gray bought hectares and hectares of land in Panama in the jungle. And literally there was nothing there, not one tree. And over the past 15 years, they've planted over 1.5 million trees. (laughs) And today, it's a rainforest. Sure. And it rains every second afternoon. The animals have come back. um, And there's communities who live on the land. And it was really, really special. We had vegan food, no meat, for five days. We had yoga and meditation every morning at 6.30. Yeah. On the Thursday... We had a six-hour silent hike. Oh, no oh. talking. <laughs> and, and what was the retreat about? So yeah. the retreat was about, um, they told us when we arrived on the Sunday, mm. that on Friday, before you leave, you will share your purpose in life with these 23 others, the 23 of us um, who eventually uh, went there. You will share your purpose in life, why you are on this earth. But you can't talk about your purpose if you haven't healed from your past. Mm. And so Monday and Tuesday, we spent the time healing from the past and they took us through some really powerful, powerful exercises. Wednesday, where are you now in your life? And they do a whole thing of where you are in your Mm -hmm. life and to really center you. Thursday, six hour silent hike. I mean, if you can walk on someone's land for six hours, (laughs) um, it gives you this, it's it's larger than Santon. 
And then in the evening, they gave you a framework. In fact, there were a few frameworks, the Ikigai model and a few others to help you think about your purpose. Friday morning, you shared your draft purpose in small groups of three and people gave you feedback. Andisa, I've only known you for a week, but you know, it was really, really insightful. And then in the afternoon, you shared your purpose with everyone. Beautiful. It was life-changing to be in a jungle um, no technology, mm. thinking about you in nature. And, um, and basically this gentleman has regenerated nature where there was nothing. Yep. There's now a rainforest, there's communities, the animals have come back and it was just amazing. Mm. But the reason I tell the story is on the first day on the Sunday when we arrived and Nathan Gray was showing us the vastness of the land and everything, he said something that gave me my gift of the three words. Mm. And those three words are the gift of my life. Mm. And he said, I'm trying to create something worthy of emulation. Mm. I'm trying to create something worthy of emulation. Mm. And those three words stuck with me, Mm. worthy of emulation. And I started thinking about this in the context of my life, Mm. is my life worthy of emulation? Not in material ways, but when I I go, Mm. will I have lived a life that's worthy of emulation? But also I thought about it in the context of of competition. Mm. There are businesses and brands that are doing amazing things Mm. that we should be just copying, adapting, emulating Mm. and rolling out for the service and betterment of of more people true but no there are competitors this this that and so this real concept has been something that's stuck with me yeah and i think if there's a parting shot from me is i think all of us as brand leaders and activists need to strive for not just incremental competing for trivial differences in market share and Mm. product attributes We should be thinking about how we can build brands that are worthy of emulation. Mm. Not just at an African level, but global businesses and brands need to be looking to the continent and say, there's a brand there. Mm. That Vodacom is doing things that are worthy of emulation. And that's certainly my aspiration for what we need to try and do and deliver in this organization. But I also think that a lot more brands on this beautiful continent can, and why not? Mm. We need to believe that we can build and create businesses and brands that are worthy of emulation, but also at a personal level, how do we think about what that means for us and the transformation we need to make in our personal lives? I've got no further questions, sir. You've ended it well. Thank you for your time. We'll continue to build brands, as you say, that are worthy of emulation. And I think everyone heard that right now. Thank you. I can't believe the hour's gone by so quickly. Thank smooth, you. Smooth, 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 smooth. Thank you very much. And, thank you, and thank you to everyone. Cheers, guys.